The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. also like to sing. There's a book of praise in the pew in front of you. Uh, hymn 6.
And I'll lead you in prayer. Almighty, gracious God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise your magnificent name. We thank you that we may be here this evening. We look around, we see many people maybe that we don't even recognize from so many different Reformed churches in our area, area of central Alberta. We thank you, O Lord, for all those who were able to come this evening. We thank you that we may strive together in the one faith as we seek to glorify your name in the places that you have set us. We thank you for gathering, defending, and preserving your church. And we pray that as we meet together, as we have conversations, as we turn to your word, as we also think about what it means to serve in our offices, the office of all believers, the special offices, Lord, that we may grow in our understanding, that we may be encouraged in our tasks, and that you may use us as useful instruments in your hands for the glory of your name, for the furtherance of your kingdom. We ask, O Lord, that you will hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome to everyone who came out this evening. My name is Julius Vance Bronson. I'm the pastor of this congregation here in uh, Emmanuel. Uh, this is uh, just so you know, the bathrooms are out down the hall that way if you need to use the bathroom. Um, I think there'll be coffee afterwards. You're all invited to stick around for that. Also tomorrow morning. And we'll thank um, those who organized the coffee and, and the sound this evening right at, at, right at the beginning as well. The reason we're having this conference is because the, in, I was in a church visit and, uh, in Barhead. And Barhead said, we've hosted it enough times. It's somebody else's turn to do that. So I took that to heart and I said, okay, I guess it's our turn uh, to host it. But I like the idea of a, a cycling uh, opportunity to gather together as office bearers at different churches, take the opportunity. So uh, I'm planting the seed so it continues to, to spread. Or maybe I'm throwing it into the wind and, and seeing where, where it goes. The topic uh, for this particular conference is uh, prepared to serve. It was early, uh, so we tried to keep it general. Uh, the idea is, it's, uh, basically, I think it's important to try to understand uh, what the office entails. And then we asked all the churches to give some thought, some opinions, some things they wanted to see covered. Uh, I should say all the, the Canadian Reformed churches uh, had their emails uh, and got responses back. So we're going to try to incorporate those responses uh, into the speeches as we go along. Tonight is a more... Uh, general question about uh, what to expect in the office. I have some uh, introductory comments, which sounds hopeful, but it'll go a long time, so don't get too hopeful. I just call them comments. But what I'd like to do is actually, uh, after that, then uh, open it up, and then we can ask questions. So any, any questions you might have, what's actually involved, or what it looks like, um, please ask. I see there's uh, 
all different ages here. I don't know who's serving in office, who's hoping to serve in office, who's supporting office bearers, who, who knows somebody who's an office bearer, but tonight is the night to ask the questions uh, that you've always wondered about. Uh, one of the churches said it would be good to try demystify uh, the office a little bit. We, we sometimes form a picture, and uh, so tonight we'll see how accurate our picture is. I think it's very important that the office is understood not just by those serving in the office and just when they come in, but I think everybody in the congregation needs to understand uh, what is involved with the special offices, what the actual task is, uh, what you can expect your, your, your dad to be doing or your husband to be doing, what he's, uh, what he's busy with and how best to support one another. I know as an office bearer myself, we always appreciate it when those who have served in office are, are now out of office and they're in the congregation and you visit and they, they already know uh, what to expect uh, at, a, at a good level. So we're trying to encourage that um, more in, in our churches. So today is, uh, like I said, a little more general. Tomorrow um, we have, uh, like tonight is the pretty face, tomorrow's the weight and the experience. We have two uh, very experienced pastors, Reverend Bill Slump and uh, Reverend Hank Vanderwerd. Um, so we have a United Reformed Church and a Canadian Reformed Church speaker. They're going to be entering more into the specifics of uh, each office, the elder and the, the deacon. And uh, the idea is to really investigate what's involved and to, to try ask and answer some uh, tougher questions. What, what do you do with or how, how can we uh, be a uh, help in this situation or, or, or that situation? So that's, uh, that's for tomorrow. The question we have to start with uh, tonight is what's, what's involved uh, with the special offices? What, what are they all about? If you happily live in your life and all of a sudden you come to, to church and your name is read off that you're nominated for the office of elder or the office of deacon, what's, what's that going to do to your life? What does that mean uh, for you? What does it mean for your husband if you hear his name uh, read off? What does it mean for your, your father? Um, what takes place in the meetings? What's going on in, in that uh, fancy room with the big chairs in it around that huge table, uh, very intimidating looking room. Uh, well, I think so anyways uh, when I walk in there. But uh, what's, what's that all about? Uh, why does it seem like office bearers are so tired when their t uh, t term of service comes to an end? Why is it so tiring? What's, what's, uh, is it really something I'd want to be involved in? Is it a noble task? Is it an honor to be an office bearer? Is it something to be uh, proud of? Does it give you a special status before the Lord? Why do people change uh, how they behave when an office bearer uh, shows up uh, to their house or to their uh, event? What's, what's going on uh, with all that? So as we look at some of these questions, I, I think that there's two dangers that we need to avoid. The first danger is to make too big a deal out of special offices. I mean, we have an office bearer conference here, and I think one of the first things we need to do is, is to try, um, just be realistic. It's just a bunch of uh, guys called to service, a bunch of men in the congregation called to a specific service. At the same time, 
Uh, I'd like to avoid the danger of saying that it's, it's nothing important. It's just a tradition, uh, that it's uh, kind of cute, and we don't actually pay any special attention to it. They, they come by to do their visit, and we make jokes we passed or we failed or whatever it is, and we really belittle the office in, in, in a sense, we put it into a category that then makes it something that doesn't function. So we're trying to find the balance between both of those dangers. And I think the best way to do that is to, to use the, uh, I think one of the, the biggest, strongest analogies that we find in Scripture is uh, Christ as a good shepherd. And I think if you think of, a, of Christ, the good shepherd, holding the keys of the kingdom in his hand, that's the picture that I think we should work with when we wonder what what's being an office bearer is all about. So there's the aspect of the rod and the staff, and there's an aspect of a loving shepherd who really wants to see uh, you doing well in your spiritual life. So what is the mandate of an office bearer? What is an office bearer? What is his mandate? An office is a service, it's a calling, uh, the mandate um, is, is going to be different in different churches. I'm, I'm not sure uh, who's all represented here. Uh, I think there may be, are there Presbyterian churches represented here at all? Several said they would come. So that's going to be, there is, that's great, welcome. Uh, and there's also Continental Reformed. They'll have different uh, descriptions of the mandate. But the principles uh, are very, very uh, similar. So if you'd actually like to, to read up more on the mandate, so I'm not going to go it in, into it tonight, um, but if you want to think about what's involved, there are some forms, liturgical forms, in the back of the Book of Praise, maybe in the Trinity Psalter hymnal as well. There's going to be these liturgical forms, um, and then you can read about the mandate and the, the background to the office, and I think that's very important to do. I think that's very important for everybody in the congregation uh, to do uh, as well. It's also, uh, in, the, in the church order, you can read a description of what's involved with the office bearers. And I think one of the main principles of Scripture that we need to start with uh, is when we ask the question, why do we have special office bearers in the church? What's the, what's the point of having ministers, elders, and deacons? And I think the first thing to understand is that these three offices are are secondary, they're subsidiary, they're serving offices. The Lord Jesus Christ bought the flock with his own blood. And the flock is in the center, the flock is the work of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 17 is a great text to give the picture. Paul says he poured himself out as a drink offering and added to the main sacrificial Offering Philippians uh, 2, verse 17. I'll read it there. I think it's a very helpful picture to see the place of the offices. It says here, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. The main offering, sacrificial offering, the faith of believers, the office bearers are complementary. They pour themselves out to uh, ensure that the sacrificial offering is ready to be presented before the Lord. Paul says to present the church as a, a bride uh, before the Lord. So the, the real 
Office is the office that every person in the congregation has. That office determines the, what the work of the special office bearers looks like. So primarily, we understand that God gave every person in the congregation, young and old, male and female, the office to glorify Him in every aspect of our lives, in our work, in our relationships, in our worship, and to do that in harmony as that's revealed in the Ten Commandments. That's the, the office, the big mission that we're all uh, focused on. And the Christian faith is about living every moment uh, in the presence of God, about walking with Him in whatever task we have, whatever role, whatever vocation, whatever calling. That's the church. That's the church of Jesus Christ uh, in, in a visible way. So we would, we would not agree with those who identify the church with office bearers, as if you could have just office bearers and say where there are office bearers, there is a, the church, but the church is the body of Christ, the, the congregation. And as such, God then gave special offices to serve and help us in our general office, if I could make that distinction. That major point is the point of Paul when he talks about unity in the body of Christ in Ephesians 4. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's 4 verse 11. And then he gives the reason that he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So that's the, the focus, is equipping the congregation. That means the congregation is the center. The congregation is the body of Christ. When Paul talks to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he makes that very clear, what their task is. Acts 20, verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That's the picture. Jesus Christ buys men, women, children with his own blood, and then as they seek to walk with him, he gives office bearers to serve in that, to serve the, the congregation. The Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd, John 10, and then he tells uh, those he has appointed uh, to serve as under-shepherds. We think of what our Lord Jesus said to Peter, uh, shepherd my flock, take care, feed my sheep. The work of the shepherd is the work of the office bearers. So the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's the description of Jesus Christ in the first place, and that's what the uh, mandate of office bearers includes. So I, I want that to be the, the main picture. That's an office that's focused on feeding. That's an office that's fo uh, focused on carrying the weak. It's an office that's focused on seeking the lost and to look for those yet to come and join the flock. The Lord Jesus Christ taught us as well 
that it's important whether you're in the flock or outside the flock. He talks about himself as, a, as the way, and he doesn't allow uh, some in, especially those who are dangerous, so it involves protecting the flock, but also ensuring that all those who hear his voice uh, come in. So if we move from the analogy to your church in 2019, the spiritual leaders are servants of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and who seeks to serve him. The spiritual leaders are servants of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and wants to walk with him. And so their task includes representing Jesus Christ to the sheep so that the sheep can know what the gospel is like also through the, those who have been ordained to represent him. So because of sin, because of its effect, it's been very hard, very hard for us to complete that mission that God gave to every person. Uh, our work, that's part of our mission, what, it, what happened after the fall, all of a sudden now there's going to be thorns and we work by the sweat of our brow. Having children, having family relationships, the second part of the mandate, we fall into sin, now there's pain in childbearing. In our worship, we could think of right away what uh, Cain did, still went through the motions, but there was an insincerity and a selfishness that interferes with, with worship. And so as Christ comes and restores all things, he uses office bearers to come beside the sheep to, to set them back on track in all those areas. So an office bearer cares about what your work looks like and how you do your work. An office bearer cares about your relationships and an office bearer cares about your worship. I don't know what else life, what, what exists beyond those three areas of, of life, but that's what the office bearers are focused on. And the idea is of propping you up, of helping you, of, of pointing again to the restoration of Jesus Christ. But as good shepherds, as under-shepherds, the, the big difference is that office bearers are human beings. God in his wisdom decided to use human beings to, to show his love in the church and these human beings, these office bearers, cannot take away the sin. They cannot take away the fall or the effects of the fall. They cannot heal the sick. They cannot change the wayward heart. But they can reveal, they can point to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that's the focus of their work. And that's the mandate. That's what we think of what's expected of an office bearer. The short answer is to point to Jesus Christ with our words, but also with our lives. And so the people of God must be led into the presence of the Good Shepherd. Worship is a main focus of office bearers. That's what's expected. That's something that consumes our, our thoughts and our time to see the beauty of the Lord, to respond to his word with singing. The people must hear the, the, word, the voice of the good shepherd. That's the beautiful picture in John 10. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Well, they, they, that's the task of office bearers to, to bring that voice of the shepherd to God's people, not just the minister then, but that's the responsibility of all God's pastors. They must experience also, as the sheep must experience the nearness of Jesus Christ to them in their daily tasks. They must understand that he cares about what your work looks like. He cares about how 
you relate to others. That's why in a family visit, they often ask you about work. That's not social chit-chat. That's a concern about your mandate and how that's going. That's why elders will ask children also, are you uh, doing your work well in school? Are you pursuing excellence? Are you satisfied with a 65? What's, what's, what's in your mind as a Christian? And so the whole focus is on that mandate. They must also feel his loving hands when they're alone or scared. So by giving assistance to those experiencing hardships, the good shepherd is showing his love to God's people. The form for the uh, ordination of deacons in, in the continental reform tradition says it very nicely. It says that no one should suffer uh, uh, loneliness, uncomfort. Should, no one should suffer uncomforted uh, is, is the, the picture. And that's the idea of the shepherd's hands uh, coming beside the sheep and, and showing what Jesus Christ looks like uh, today in, in 2019. And also then as good shepherds, uh, there's the task of protecting the sheep, making sure the, the walls around the sheepfold uh, keep the wolves out to make sure that those who are uh, attacking, who hate God's people, are, are not able to cause severe damage. But yet, at the same time, to allow the light of the gospel to shine through those walls to go out to make the church look like a safe and attractive place. And indeed it is when Jesus Christ is there. So the leadership task, if we can sum it up, that's what it, that's what it looks like. It looks like helping us all in our office. And if you look at all those tasks and you, you divide them up, you can usually, as, as churches, they're divided up and uh, cared for by two offices, elders and deacons, and in many uh, cases, continental reformed in three offices uh, as well, or two and a half. But it's basically, you just take all those tasks and you say, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's get this done. Let's get this done in our church. Let's make sure that Jesus Christ's love is seen, and let's do that in the most effective way possible. So what kind of characteristics are needed to be one of those office bearers? I'm going to broaden the question before I get into the office bearers. I'm going to ask the question, what is needed for every spiritual leader representing the love of Jesus Christ to those in their sphere of influence? What is needed as an older sibling? What are the characteristics of a godly older sibling who has to reflect the love of Christ to their younger siblings? What, is, what are the characteristics of a, a parent, whether a father or a mother or by delegation a teacher representing the parental authority? What kind of characteristics are, are they called to have? What do they need in order to represent Jesus Christ in their task. You could think of parents uh, in the families and teachers as the best, best youth pastors that are out there representing Christ and showing the, the, the way that their children uh, should go. Well, if we look at Scripture, the characteristics are very clear. Maybe uh, your mind has already jumped to... Uh, 
the well-known passage in Galatians where it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. These are, this is the fruit of all spiritual people in the church of God that are then equipped by the Spirit to have a positive influence and represent Christ uh, to their, in their marriages and in their families and in their classrooms and also uh, to their, their siblings and, and in the broader family situation. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 uh, lists the fruit of the Spirit, and I think everybody here uh, should have them memorized. By now, I'm sure you, you have them uh, memorized in, in, your, in your heart and in your mind. Uh, we, we, when we lived in Brazil, we moved into a house that uh, the former missionary had, had, was, had lived there before, and they had pretty dark blue walls, and then they had the fruit of the Spirit, uh, all the, the different fruit of the Spirit in, in gold lettering around. But I guess before we moved there, the, um, it was, seemed too dark, so they painted two walls white. Uh, so we only had the first three fruit of the Spirit, and, and we just told people when they came to visit, we, we, once we master them, we put them on the wall. Uh, but we only got through, through three of them. But that fruit of the Spirit, I think, should be central in our, in our lives. Uh, I know uh, in the nursery here, it's great to, to see on the wall in the nursery of, of the church, it's, it's there. The, the fruit of the Spirit uh, characterize good leadership as parents. But then when we think of office bearers, we can't skip that. That's the starting point, and it's from that pool of spiritually led people that the Lord finds his and, and gathers and, and calls uh, those people set aside to serve the body in the offices of minister, elder, and deacon. So in, in, in order to prepare for any position of leadership, it's that focus on the study of God's Word. Uh, when we have uh, catechism instruction, when we're, when we're instructing our kids around the, the table, uh, when we go on pastoral visits, when we have catechism instruction, when we have pre-marriage classes, what's, what's the message? It's always the same. It's study God's Word. Together with others, read and pray and grow in your understanding of what God is saying and celebrate the gospel regularly. That's, the, that's how God works that fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's really the secret it's really the secret to the life of walking in joy with our God. Now, sometimes you hear the saying, uh, God equips those uh, whom he calls. God equips those whom he calls. And sometimes that's been misused. So people, uh, they, they coast along. They, they live the la-di-da life with, uh, focused on themselves, focused on the work, and then all of a sudden... Um, they, they uh, realize they've gotten older and that they could serve in, in the office and they think, well, God will equip me if he calls me. Uh, when we look at scripture, we notice that, that that is true to a degree, but when we look at the type of people that the Lord wants the church to call, we'll see that they are people who are already led by the Spirit and who are walking in the Spirit. So Deuteronomy chapter 1 give some very clear instruction about that. When there were leaders that needed to be appointed, the Lord God uh, said, 
Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you. It's important to recognize that when it comes to ordaining people to the office, it's important to ensure that they've already shown themselves to be capable spiritual leaders. The equipping doesn't refer to some instant spiritual transformation that comes when hands are laid on the heads of some uh, man entering the office, but the, the, the equipping refers to giving divine authority and task to those who have shown wisdom and understanding and experience in their lives. So these are, this is when you move from that general office of all believers, that general equipping, the fruit of the Spirit, to the special qualifications that are connected to the authority of the special offices. It's clear that not every member of the congregation needs experience. We can have the Spirit. Experience is something that comes. But when it comes to office bearers, the Lord mentions. He mentions that. He mentions wisdom understanding and experience in Deuteronomy. Wisdom, we can see that further defined as that ability to live with an eternal perspective. Think of Proverbs, you think of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is living life with the, the eternal perspective, which, which means you believe that God exists and that he is sovereign, that he is over all things, and that you're on your way to, to see him. That's wisdom. Living your life to the glory of that God, whether uh, you're, you're uh, a plumber or a minister or a judge. That's wisdom. You're, we're wise in all our callings, is, is living in your calling with the, the eternal perspective. So I'm building a house. As a wise builder, I'm doing it for the glory of God with the eternal perspective. That's what wisdom means. It's not always reserved for the aged. It's something that the Lord gives with his spirit uh, working in our hearts. He also talks about understanding. And if you look at Scripture, that understanding uh, points to, now you're thinking of heads of, of families, and they have a, we know what sin looks like. You know, uh, we're not, I, I would put understanding as somebody who's not surprised by sinfulness. When you are, you have an understanding, you're recognized, you recognize that there is weakness, you recognize the effects of the fall and then you're able to interact with that. Experience, I think, also refers to the ability to interact with people of different ages and different life situations. Uh, a child who is in, uh, even a high school student, all they know is grade 12 uh, students, that's all their, their friend group, that's all they interact with, and maybe the odd teacher who kind of stands out, and then on a Sunday, uh, that, that doesn't give a lot of experience, but someone who's able to interact with different ages, people in different circumstances, that's also a qualification that helps in the office. And then you can see why, if you remember, that this spiritual life is more than just what we do on a Sunday in a church building, but it re also refers to how we do our work or how we interact with our wife, with our children, or with our parents. The same chapter talks about the capability of judging situations without 
partiality. I'll just read what it says, verses 16 and 17. Here the case is between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. So judging righteously means according to the law, the, the justice of God. Small and great alike uh, points to that, that head, that loving, connected shepherd who cares about the small sheep as much as cares about the older sheep. Not intimidated by anyone. Then you see that to be an office bearer, you can see right away the need for uh, courage. So that strong compassion, that uh, knowledge of the law of, of Scripture to be righteous in judgment, but then also that uh, fearlessness, that uh, courage in convictions, the ability to make decisions based on what is right rather than how people may react and being scared of what people might think. It's very clearly stated here that that's not those are not good characteristics to have in the church leadership. These qualifications are expanded on in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. We read through the list, a lot of attention has been paid to that, and I don't want to uh, pay a lot of attention uh, to every one of those characteristics, but I think what it adds to the list is also the ability to teach. It's mentioned specifically, elders should be able to teach. So what are we looking for when we're thinking about uh, office bearers, about the task of an office bearer? What, what is it that my, my, I should be working on together with my husband? Or what should, what should my, if, if, the, if somebody asked me, is your, is your dad, is he fit to be an office bearer? What does that mean? Uh, what kind of characteristics? It's that spiritual character and reputation in the church is what we look at, not on your occupation, not on your social status in the world. It may be that everybody thinks you're something because you drive a big Mercedes and, and, and you have a lot of money and you, you own a lot of property, but in the church that doesn't, that doesn't weigh in to the question. The question is, what is the character of the person in office? Timothy 3 that we read together, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not going to read it again. It doesn't emphasize what we do but it emphasizes who we are, who we are. And so when we look at that, we want people who know God's word well. We want people who are, are, are fostering this Bible knowledge. You want to prepare yourself to serve. Well, it's very, it's very clear. You know, make sure you, you, you read through this, this Bible, read through the whole Bible with a meaningful study. And I think as wives, when we encourage husbands in that to prepare themselves for serving, that we are also uh, encouraging Bible reading and encouraging further study by asking questions about what we read, by engaging in conversations about passages, by encouraging husbands or ourselves as well included to ask uh, questions of our children and to interact together with their answers and then later to uh, continue thinking about how that Word of God and that truth uh, how that applies in the daily situations of our lives. The, the, the most pastoring that happens is the pastoring uh, in the home. 
And, and if you're reading scripture with your family and you're thinking about it, you'll find out, and it's an amazing thing. You, you probably all know this already, but as you're, as you're living life and you're going through, and, and now all of a sudden it's a very difficult week, something, you know, there's a lot of strain or a lot of stress on your life, and, and you're reading together in, in the passage, you can use God's word and you can speak to the difficult situations in your life with God's word open. That's training. That's the characteristic of an office bearer, that's all an office bearer does in his office as well, to encourage others to do the same thing. So we also look for that godly Christian character uh, that's formed by God's word. If you want to prepare to serve, you work on that in your home. You, you make sure that in your interaction with your wife, and then your wife will encourage the same, and with your children, that your character developing that you're learning how to react to, to uh, people, you know, uh, telling you to, to get lost. Um, I always had to chuckle when my children were, were young. Um, I figured I could take them. I'm a big guy, but they're, they're, they're like two feet high, and they're like thumbing their nose at you and telling you to, to get lost. And it's amazing at their courage, but to humbly learn how to react to these situations is forming for also for serving in the office. People who are gentle and hospitable, that's what we're looking for. Uh, when you look through the qualifications, you notice that Paul is really worried about people who are only thinking about their own kingdoms, greedy for money, and, and they're, they're not able to control themselves, and they have no time for anything else, and they're worried about their satisfying themselves. And he says, it's not the kind of people that serve well in the church. So he adds not in front of those things, not greedy for gain, not uh, addicted to much wine, but those who are focused on making others happy, on serving. So when we have that picture of an office bearer, we have a picture of how, to, how we can be forming that. And I think not only of ourselves or our, our family members, uh, but also when we look at our children, what we want to develop in them. It's important all of a sudden how your son treats your daughter if you have uh, two children or how two sons treat each other. That's the, the forming of future office bearers, what we accept in the home. But what does it look like then once you're in uh, some of the practical things that you can expect in the office? Hopefully uh, when you get to, we get to questions, you can, you can ask anything else and maybe we can touch on some other things but if, if you have this idea of the task, then the, uh, of the expectations of the office, then the task uh, is quite simple. We already said it. It's focused on ensuring that the word of God is heard, the voice of the shepherd. So that's paying attention to the preaching, which isn't a unique task of the office bearers, but the whole congregation is called to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. But the responsibility does fall on the leadership for that. Also to uh, help with the congregation as they're moving along through their lives, through the difficult times, through the, through, through the valleys, and also through the, the mountains. And then it's, uh, what, that in, what that involves is, is sharing what you've learned in your Bible study uh, with others as they are on their journey. And I think it's a really, uh, the understanding is, although the office is an office with authority of Jesus Christ, 
Jesus Christ is a shepherd who comes beside his sheep to ensure that we walk together. And a visit, a pastoral visit, a family visit is exactly that. It's celebrating. You're doing a great job. You've made it this far. Look at what you've avoided. Uh, Look at how you're looking ahead. See how Jesus Christ gives hope in our lives. It's a celebration. It's It's a conversation about the Christian journey. So what kind of skills are needed for visits? If we look at, okay, I think I can serve my congregation. I think I love God, and I think I want to come beside him. What kind of skills are needed? Uh, One skill is the ability to listen non-judgmentally. And maybe that's something we can work on all the time, but you first listen, the ability to be able to repeat what someone says without thinking of the answer uh, while they're speaking, to be able to repeat back to them what they've said. That's the, the, the hallmark of good listening. And then after you've managed to repeat it back to them, then you, you've shown that you've understood them, then you can start thinking about, well, now what's a, what's a good way forward? So listening is important. The ability to ask questions to encourage others to open up uh, if they present an issue or a problem. The ability to, to listen and then to, to put it back on their person's plate to have them speak first about what they think would be a good way of dealing with the issue. Hear what solutions people present themselves. I think we need to understand that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is reading God's Word, and every Christian is able to see different ways of dealing with difficult challenges in life. Uh, It's not good to come into a home uh, as a shepherd and then turn out to be a big know-it-all uh, and, and, uh, and uh, come in and without listening and tell people their problem and their answer uh, in the same visit. That's not a helpful uh, skill to have. So some of those skills are certainly important to think about. When there's a serious lack of understanding, you, you could see that, then it's, uh, you're required to teach when there's a hardness of a heart, it requires a boldness to, to say, uh, do you recognize uh, that you are doing this? Yes. Do you recognize that the Bible says this? Yes. Well, then I exhort you to repent. You're not going where there is life. You're outside. You're acting like one who's walking away from the sheepfold. So a normal expectation of office bearers means you should count on uh, about 30 regular uh, visits in a year. I think there's 52 weeks, so that's not even uh, one a week sometimes. And then you can add another 10 to 15 uh, for special cases. Um, That's a bit of a rough estimate. Maybe the elders can correct me uh, on that. But I think you generally count on a visit a week uh, throughout the year. Uh, That's what it takes. And then also your, your goal is to try to get to know the story and the context of the people under your care to record their spiritual Uh, development. I think it's also a a skill uh, that's required for the office is the skill to uh, confidentiality. We need to be committed to that unless there's a crime or a hardening. It's not an absolute confidentiality unless there's a crime or a hardening in sin. Uh, The office bearer involved in the visit, they should not speak about what they heard to Uh, anybody else. It's not their story to tell, 
and things are best dealt with on a need-to-know basis. There's a reason the catechism says the gossip is the devil's own work. And that's certainly not something we want to find among the spiritual leaders of God's people. And I think it's very important that we remind each other of that often, that we keep uh, this to a need-to-know basis. And I think that's important for the whole congregation to know that that's what office bearers uh, hold to. Uh, in terms of including wives in this, it's open for discussion. Um, I think the assumption of members is that our wives do not know all the details. I've never asked someone for permission to share their stories and struggles with my wife. She's not received the office. She does not need the burden of responsibility. She does not have the opportunity to discuss, unburden herself with a second elder. And uh, so that's been my decision. I know that there's different decisions on that, but certainly um, we start with the assumption that the office bearer uh, relates one-on-one uh, -on -one with the person, and if they would like to include their wife for one reason or another, that should be stated uh, and asked uh, permission for. It's not an assumption uh, the husbands are ordained to the office. It's not to say the role of wives and children is not important, uh, that ability to recognize the headspace that office bearers need is very important. Uh, often there's a need for processing uh, and understanding. It's a great blessing for office bearers when their family does not uh, begrudge the time, the sacrifice that the family needs to make because the husband is involved with the office. Uh, again, speaking uh, personally, as my own personal experience, uh, when I was in Brazil, I was, I was gone three or four weekends uh, for, the, for several years, uh, and then I lowered that down significantly to two or four weekends. Um, but it was, very, it was a lot of time gone. Uh, it would have been impossible if, if my wife had not uh, said, this is God's kingdom work, um, and she was 100% uh, beside me, uh, as, long, as well as my children. Although I do remember at one point where I was encouraging a four-year-old son that the ministry is a good thing, and he says, uh, I'm not working for, um, for your boss. He makes you work way too hard. <clears throat> I think he meant the church, but I'm not sure. So, <laughs> so that was a lesson to me that uh, also in terms of reflecting the joy of the office, I wasn't uh, uh, doing that properly. The other expectation, uh, so I was, I, I, sorry, I shouldn't end on that. I, it's possible to work too many nights and to work too hard, but I don't think that's the expectation of every office bearer. In fact, uh, if we look at uh, one to two uh, nights, or on average, one night a week, uh, that would be uh, a, something I think that is reasonable. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to just touch on meetings. I think uh, in terms of uh, uh, the expectations, uh, the, the, the meeting is, seems like this, this secret thing. Not only do they get big chairs and big tables in their meeting rooms, um, um, but kids kind of look in there and they wonder. Uh, on Sunday mornings, that meeting room seems to spit out a line of very nicely dressed uh, people. It seems like some sort of special room. And I think these closed meetings are perhaps the most misunderstood. 
Uh, sometimes the belief is that the consistory or council meeting is like an executive club meeting uh, where a bunch of guys just make up their decision, what they want their church to look like. Uh, sometimes it's seen as a you guys in that room versus the rest of us type gathering. Sometimes people imagine that office bearers are working like politicians, manipulating elections and ensuring that people with different ideas, uh, that no people with different ideas get into office. Uh, others talk about a big boys club. Uh, others imagine that everybody in the consistory hears about everything you said in your visits, so they, they assume, well, you guys in that room, uh, you know my sin and, and you know, you're, you're against me. Uh, so there's a lot of talk like that that you, you will run across. So let's be very clear. In the meeting room, it's the same people that you meet in their homes who, who have wives and children. Uh, they come together with reading and prayer. And the goal continues to, be ref to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. And the prayer is that God's word and Christ's love may be manifest in the work that is being done in that room. The prayer is that the Spirit guides our words and our conversations uh, so that we speak in a way that is pleasing to God, including the ninth commandment, so that we do not want to ever gossip or slander. The main goal of the consistory meeting is to look at the members' lives to ensure that the work of the business is continuing, that Christ's love is being seen. So an agenda is quite simple. What can we say about the preaching and the teaching? Start at the pulpit. Is it faithful? Yes, good. Next thing, who's, uh, who's in the church, who's members, and who are not members? So we keep track of, of who we are responsible for, who God has ordained us to care for, and who we would say that person is someone that Christ bought with his blood that I am responsible for, and that on the day of judgment I will have to answer to God for. Who's in that group? The next thing you look at is the spiritual situation of the members. And I'll tell you, all those family visits, they're reported on, in, in my experience, uh, it was a good visit. That's what we hear. That means, that does not mean that the coffee was good, that the cake was good, that there was no sin in that home. That, that can mean that there was a three-hour discussion where someone confessed their sins, we cried, we read, we looked at scripture, they repented, we planned a way to go forward, and I'm going to be visiting them and keeping in touch with them for the next three months over this struggle. But when it comes to the consistory, we hear it was a good visit. That means I was able to do my task in shepherding that family or that individual. And uh, after that, we even have a part where there's opportunity given for consultation. So one office bearer is involved with two on the, wit in the word of two witnesses. The decisions are made between those two men ordained by God to care for the sheep, willing to give their lives for the, the, the well-being of the sheep, there's, we trust that those two men are able to be, make wise decisions and to go forward. So now even when things get complicated, it doesn't come to the whole consistory. We hear simply it was a good visit. The two elders are working together. Maybe they spent an extra hour going for a coffee to, to try wrap their heads around what they had heard and how to move forward. That's a need-to-know basis that the consistory functions on. Once a person is moved to the discipline list for persisting in sin, not committing sin, but for persisting in sin, uh, and then cases are judged at the 
consistory meeting, known to all, but based on the Ten Commandments, and that's also for the good and the protection of the people in God's flock. Deacons meeting, again, very simple. Make sure the work is getting done, ensure that no one is left uncomforted, and to see how and who and what to support with the offerings. The council meeting is a little broader. It's the elders and the deacons together. Yeah, it comes together now. The table is, is very full, especially in our congregation here. But, but when you have both groups together, uh, again, the deacons ensure that the work is being done. They're not answering to the elders in any way. They're a unique office in their own right with their own responsibility directly to Christ. But they ensure, we ensure together that the work is being done. Incoming mail relating to the local congregation, correspondence dealing with other churches, and then proposals. It's quite simple in terms of what happens in that meeting room. As one elder says it, the real work is not done in the meeting. The real work is done in the visiting, in the caring for God's people. When you look at this, what else is involved? There's time. We talked about that. But also there's an emotional investment. That emotional investment uh, takes its toll. And that's why when elders leave, they're often uh, somewhat tired. And I think that uh, that has to do with the involvement. Uh, I think there's, it's important to learn how to deal with that. It's very hard to see uh, someone in the process of hardening in sin. Uh, maybe uh, you've had it in your own family, brother, or a, a child who's hardening in sin, and you can see that, and the heartbreak that it causes to you as a parent is immense. It's the same for an office bearer to see uh, one for whom Christ died, who has, is turning away from the only hope in life and death. There's turning away from eternal life. Uh, when you look at Revelation 18, that speaks about the punishment for Babylon, and the smoke goes up from her forever and ever. That's what Leaving Christ is involving. And so you can understand that that's a very difficult challenge for an office bearer. We understand um, then it's very frustrating when the Spirit doesn't work the way we want Him to work. And so in terms of dealing with that, uh, one of the important aspects of, we've talked about that, wisdom and understanding and experience is to realize how the Lord is working and, and your task, the task of the office bearer is limited. We said that. You cannot heal. You cannot change hearts. We cannot uh, renew people's lives. It's the work of the Spirit. And we are mere instruments in His hands. So the challenges that we find in the office is finding the, the limits. Um, this is fantastic. I have in, he, in here difficulty staying motivated. CF speech by Reverend Musker. Um, maybe he can even give us a speech. He's even here this evening. He walked in. I didn't know that. This was not pre-planned. But a Reformed Perspective has a transcript of his speech. You can look it up online if you've ever heard. You can just Reformed Perspective, Google it. It's a fantastic magazine. Uh, there's this, and I think there's a video of his speech. Um, and, and he goes through some of the challenges of the office bearers and also uh, how to stay motivated, how to stay focused on the work of serving Jesus Christ. And it's when we lift our eyes up to him that we, we see the beauty of the privilege of serving as an office bearer. It's not something that we walk around with and think, oh, I'm an office bearer and now I'm somebody. It's not a, a, a sign, a badge of honor. 
It's not something that can ever cause pride. It's something that gives joy because you can know that you can be a, an instrument in the hands of the shepherd who gave his life for all who believe in him, the shepherd who also was the lamb and who now is in heaven seeing us all. When Paul talks about the crown of his work, he says, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19, he says, but you are my crown. And I think of that when speaking of encouraging office bearers and if you lift it up, you receive the crown of life. And I think part of that crown, the, the honor of being in the office is seeing God's people there with you, the small and the, 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 the strong, um, the, the little children uh, and the elderly. And so when we look at that, I think those are, it gives a picture of how to prepare to serve. And uh, I'd like to give an opportunity for questions uh, as well. And please feel free to ask anything to demystify the office, anything that you're wondering about what happens, uh, or something you think that I didn't touch on that I should, or if I've done anyone an injustice, uh, please feel free to let me know. That's uh, another skill you get to learn. <laughs>